Okay, welcome everyone, listeners, welcome to my guest today, John Aston, and uh, he is a uh, incredibly fitting guest for the name of the show, Unspeakable Bliss, which I'm sure that will be uh, part of our conversation. So first, I'd like to give a brief uh, introduction that I got right off your website, actually, and then we can hop right in. But first, uh, thank you for joining today, John. My pleasure, Christopher. Hmm. So John is the author of four books exploring the nature of human experience, the books that he's written are too intimate for words. This is always enough. Searching for the rain in a monsoon and this extraordinary moment. He's also a singer, a songwriter, and recording artist, having produced seven CDs of original spiritual contemplative music. Along with his teachings, writings, and music, John holds a PhD in health psychology and is an internationally acclaimed scholar in the field of mind-body medicine. His research focusing on the applications of meditative contemplative practices in psychology and healthcare. He's presently an adjunct professor of clinical and counseling, uh, clinical slash counseling psychology at Santa Clara and Notre Dame University's Notre Dame de, de Namuru. Is that how you say that? Dana Moore, yeah. Dana Moore, Dana Moore. Uh, universities. And last but certainly not least, I got this from his Instagram. He is a lover of existence. <laughs> <laughs> most importantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most importantly. That's right. And his uh, Twitter and Instagram, all this will be in the show notes to the to today's podcast is this is always it. So here we are. <laughs> I was thinking about uh, like listening to the bio. It's kind of funny, like... <laughs> You know all this stuff that's been created over these many years and and um just you know the different kind of yeah there's different sort of creative expressions and and i was just feeling like this is so interesting like did i do all that mm -hmm. <laughs> and then there was this feeling of like we really don't know right we really don't know what's doing all of this we really don't we can't really explain when you think about the creativity that human beings express and the intelligence that is expressed through their various actions and works and undertakings. And like, where does that, where does all of that intelligence actually, what's it grounded in? What's it rooted in? Where does it come from? It's the great mystery, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So in and one sense, I, I did all of that. I created all that music and the books and the, the work and the research, all the things I've, you know, are on my CV, right? <laughs> it's like, and then there's this, there was just the sense as, as I listened of like, wow, what, what, what is it that create, created all of that and all of this? And sort of the same question, basically. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, this is a, a perfect kind of uh, diving off point. The, the first thing that I wrote down was, I, I used to have this list, John, of the three things that I know. And the first thing is, I am. The second thing is, I don't know. And the third is, I'm not even sure about the first two. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I've, I've ditched the list because now it's, it's, as I've heard you talk about in other podcasts, uh, it's just this, whatever, whatever I, don't, I don't even know what this is, a, 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 an absolute mystery. And that's, um, that's in part why it's called unspeakable bliss is I, I had this experience where mm, to make a very long story short, it was a 
kind of an ego death experience. And then, I, I mean, literally for a couple, a few hours um, as a result of um, psilocybin mushrooms. This was many, six years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you might know a thing or two about this, so I'll, I'll let you know. It was a heroic dose of um, like eight or nine grams of penis envy, which later did I find out that's the name of the strain is a, a very, very uh, potent um, mm -hmm. dose. And I, I got what I was looking for, but you know, it, I, I was, it was terrifying. It was absolutely, mm. I was alone. This was the kind of prescription of Terrence McKenna and Ram Das, like do it on your own, et cetera, et cetera. And it was after extensive hundreds of hours of, of meditation, I wanted to see if, if what these guys were talking about, if it was at least accessible as a doorway. And anyway, mm -hmm. I got to a point where I said, if I don't exist, then who or what is so worried about it? <laughs> and and in, in that moment, the whole thing kind of, it was almost like I caught my ego red-handed. I'm like, oh. and I, I, for the next few hours, laughed and uh -huh. It was the strangest experience because it was almost as if I didn't even take mushrooms at that point. Which to someone that is listening to this, they might think, "Oh, well, that's all a, a right. kind of a hallucination." But it was just the most unspeakable kind of moment. And then after I've I've had the non-experience experience through meditation and through conversation, and uh, so yeah, th these are all all the reasons why. Uh, I, I found in a lot of your work, the unspeakable nature, um, it'd be so fun to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, it, that's, that's, that's the curious thing that, uh, I mean, we have a lot of words, you know, human mm -hmm. beings, the words are here to, reflecting on this this morning, this, this kind of crazy, wild paradox that I really do seem at one level to know what things are. You know, I have names for them. I know I'm talking to a human being. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm doing so on what I call a computer. You know, I know I'm holding a cup of, of tea, you know, yeah. and I'm going to drink some of it while we're talking. You know, it's like, that's my knowledge, which is very much sort of, I could say, at least a lot of it mediated through language and conceptualization. So I, and I seem, you know, we're having a conversation and we're exchanging like these, these packets of information via language. So we're speaking mm -hmm. about something, right? That would seem, and we seem able to understand each other. I mean, this is, I'm describing kind of conventional reality, consensus yeah. reality in, in some sense, but at the same time, what it is it's actually all what it is it's being interpreted what it is it's being spoken about presumably this moment this circumstance this event or series of events or phenomena it, it's i actually can't if i really look i really cannot come to a conclusion any kind of definitive conclusion about what any of it is i mean all the way it, from the most normal, if you will, human experiences to the kind of crazy, wild, kind of cosmic experiences you were just sharing, you know, while on psilocybin, you know, and in a sense, that experience is no different from this moment. Right. right. It's unspeakable, inconceivable nature. And that can all sound incredibly philosophical, like, oh, it's inconceivable, because that is an idea that it's inconceivable. But the yeah. actual feeling 
as I like to say, of the moment absolutely transcends any any knowledge framework, any way of rendering it conceptually. And that's, talk about (laughs) flying in the face of, at what human beings believe to be the case, which is that that this is in a sense knowable. And I know what it is because I have words and concepts to seem to be able to characterize it, right? But, Mm -hmm. so yes, it's quite something to discover that mm, actually, it's 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 an absolute free fall in a sense into this bottomless unknowability and mystery you know one of the things that led me to get interested in all of these things which is so funny as you're pointing out then there's this identity of kind of a biography that's been created around the unknown which is it's, it's i find it humorous to look at as well um but it was this curiosity and that led to studying socrates i Mm -hmm. I studied socratic intellectualism and then as a result of that someone handed me a book saying you know what you're saying in in our seminars is in this book and that was a curious thing to say to someone and i said well what book is it and he shows me the book i heard you talk about this maybe being somewhat influential on your path as well it was autobiography of a yogi Mm -hmm. right Yogananda and that was that was the first I I had a Catholic I was at a Jesuit college and that was Mm. the first time where these concepts Mm. ideas of Christ consciousness and non-duality I guess I don't think Yogananda uses that word per se but that's when I it felt like a rediscovering of this this Mm. um I I actually remembered recovered a memory from 11 years old looking up at the cross going either this whole thing is bullshit or what's in that guy jesus has got to be in all of us and i and, and i kind of discovered that as uh-huh. a result of following this curiosity so i guess i'm, I'm bringing that up because i'm wondering uh, about uh, if you could maybe share a bit about how autobiography of a yogi played a role in your journey exploration well it definitely did it was at the time <clears throat> very pivotal and transformative I and, and coincided I mean really I can't even piece it all together exactly but I was 19 or so uh-huh. and really out of the blue I have to say this something got sparked in me some kind of curiosity to look mm. more deeply at what was going on I mean there were a couple of things I remember a conversation I had with a friend I was in college at the time a freshman and um and then a really close friend of mine was having sort of some spontaneous kind of non-ordinary experiences of consciousness that that was a total, very new territory to me to even consider. And so very, and then so right on the heels of all of that kind of sparking of curiosity, people started to hand me some books, mm-hmm. hearing of this interest of mine. And I remember one was Siddhartha Herman Hesse's book, and then another one was um a book by Rajneesh known as Rajneesh at the time Osho mm-hmm. commonly known now and then someone handed me autobiography of a yogi I didn't know anything about any of it honestly it was all just I was just as naive as could be uh-huh. I just felt like all of it was sort of conspiring to I mean you mentioned you know psychedelics also took psychedelics maybe 
three or four times in my mm -hmm. life. And I never took them again after that kind of year. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of it sort of conspiring to sort of open the doors of perception and and consideration that there was much more than meets the eye uh, in terms of my con conventional sort of notions of things. And an autobiography of Yogi certainly was opening up these kind of mystical doors of, of yeah. uh, other worlds seemingly and, and other ways of perceiving reality. And I was very intrigued and got quite involved with his teaching. Um, he had passed on. He had passed on by then because he passed away in the fifties mm -hmm. and, uh, but I was studying with his organization almost became a monk in his organization oh, wow. in 1979 around then 7980 and uh realized that was not the path I wanted to travel that monastic uh -huh. path. Uh -huh. and um I mean the, the particular approach to what you know what he called self-realization I mean ultimately for me I feel like it was a lot of frustration times moments of sort of feeling like I would have breakthroughs into deeper insight and understanding, but that particular kind of meditative path was, was not really my turned out to not be the path that I wanted to carry on with for different mm -hmm. reasons. But um, so yeah, my, then my journey took a lot of different twists and turns studying different from some different teachers and traditions and um yeah, so I've had a lot of a lot of varied influences in that regard, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm definitely kind of a. You couldn't really pin me into any particular like lineage, so to speak, in terms of yeah. um, the way I talk about stuff now and how I approach it with other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think of myself as a sloppy spiritualist. I have my foot my my feet in all the different boats trying to get across <laughs> the and simultaneously not going anywhere which is this whole uh unspeakable business uh so to back it up a little bit yeah we talked a little bit about um you had mentioned something about we don't know what any of these things are and as, as far as i know science doesn't know the hard, hard problem of consciousness so like where consciousness is coming from even if that's mm -hmm. our, that would be the right way to ask to say that as though it's coming from somewhere but then mm -hmm. also on this list of questions that science doesn't know the answer to we also don't know what anything in the universe is made of yeah well that's that's the <laughs> that's the real like bottom line you know kind of astonishing thing right because <laughs> I just had a pretty remarkable, I do these individual sessions with people who find out about my work and then we sort of inquire together. And I, I love doing those individual meetings. There's something about, like I also present this stuff to groups too. I do like a weekly Zoom meeting and planning a number of retreats and that will be, you know, de delivering this stuff to a group. But something about working with individuals is so lovely because I feel like something happens where, you know, because everybody's so unique, right? I mean, everybody's journey of unfolding and understanding and so on is just completely unique. So there's something about working individually where, I don't know, it feels like not so much that I'm 
some kind of intention to tailor it to where they are, but that just happens very organically and very spontaneously. But in any case, I was meeting with this uh, man who turned out to be a quantum physicist. And wow, it was just the most remarkable conversation to talk with him. And one of the things that came out of that, which I, I find myself referring to a lot of late, is we were talking about math. And I said, my understanding of the, the explorations of the physicists is where we currently are in terms of our understanding of the nature of reality, of matter, what matter is made of is we're, we're currently, we describe it mathematically, basically. Uh -huh. We don't describe it empirically as something observable because we can't observe the fund where, where we currently stand in terms of our understanding of the fundamental basic nature of stuff it's like it's no it's described mathematically so the math that's describing reality by the, the physicists are using to describe reality this is what's so wild is that the math itself which is using you know mathematics is um you could say and this relates to the whole notion of being able to measure like what phenomena are to get to the bottom of you know measurement is the basis of science right i'm almost a scientist i'm a scientist as well social scientist i have been at least in my life and we actually are using mathematics in understanding the nature of reality and the math itself can't be determined as to what it is right okay right. so and you can take a lot of simple examples of this but the one that i use a lot is that's used in all sorts of things in science and engineering to predict things, to build things is, is pi, right? Uh -huh. What is pi? What is, what is, what is, can we get to the bottom of and determining what pi actually is? And the answer to that question is no. <laughs> so it's very paradoxical because in one sense, oh yeah, we know what pi is. It's pi. It's right. 3.1415 dot, 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 dot. <laughs> and um, in this conversation, uh, I said to him, so essentially, the, the, the fact that our understanding of the universe, which is now based kind of on math, and the math itself is not determinable, it's not resolvable, it's an, we can't find out what something like pi is, because it's infinite, right? It never ends. It has no end point. Well, we come to the conclusion of, ha, eureka. I have discovered what pi is. <laughs> no, mm -hmm. can't determine it. And, and he told me something interesting, which is that to be able to use pi as a, as a mathematical, you know, numerical value, and then be able to make predictions and so on, we actually only need to carry it out a couple of decimal points. So it's sort of good enough to just uh -huh. know, oh, it's 3.14. And then we can actually do things with it, right? Seemingly to manipulate. Yeah things in the world but we actually will never know what it is at the same time right. now there is therein is the, is the exact paradox that we were talking about a moment ago which is we actually cannot we cannot get to how, how can we get to the bottom of something that has no bottom the math is based on infinity and infinity has no bottom that's it's we said by definition right it has no final right, right value a uh, final way of determining here's what it is and that's all just a metaphor in a sense for this moment this is like pi i could say something about what it might feel like the sense of it what i see 
seeing right the descriptions right yeah but not really i can't really determine it and that to me the discovery of that is what freedom is all about that the spiritual teachings talk about liberation yeah, yeah. is to see that this reality is fundamentally liberated from or transcends in its very basis in its very nature it transcends any possibility of knowing what it is which is seems to be unavoidably unavoidably the case the truth that sets us free as the as it says somewhere in the bible yeah truth wow. of the truth of inconceivability uh -huh. <laughs> man there's like there's at least three different directions i want to go all at the same time but i'm gonna i'm gonna choose uh one and one thread. what is it pick one thread and go with it yeah yeah right uh the title of one of your books is this something like this extraordinary moment uh-huh uh, yeah that's loud. yes and i was wondering i didn't i didn't find it in the book but i i mm -hmm. was wondering if you chose the word extraordinary because of the uh, obviously the consensus general definition is that it means that it's outside of the ordinary. But I, I always love the word extraordinary because to yeah. me, it points to how actually absolutely and extraordinary this is. I was wondering if you titled it. It's funny, it. you know, I actually, if I understand what you're suggesting, I never thought of the word in that way. And it's really okay. cool to think of that way. I love that. It's like, yeah. it's ordinary, but it's extraordinary. <laughs> It's like, it's, I actually did not want to call the book that, that the publisher okay. sort of came up with that. It, it was a, we had to come to a happy agreement where we both felt comfortable with the ultimate, the title I wanted was, um, this is not what you think it is. Oh, okay. Okay. It felt like it captured mm -hmm. more pointedly what I was pointing to. Mm-hmm. But they felt that that was too abstract, too philosophical. And I was like, really? <laughs> okay. Um, and the funny thing about the, 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 the one thing about the extraordinary word is that it's, it, this is just, this is just the reality of language, trying to language any of this stuff, right? That we're talking about, but people can hear that word and think, well, this doesn't feel extraordinary. So I've got to go look for something else that is extraordinary, right? or amazing or as like well no not exactly actually not at all because what you're calling the ordinary just oh this is just you know some mundane everyday same old same old you know just ordinary existence my ordinary life it's like well it's it is that we could say and it's also um the absolute reality i mean it's the most astonishing miraculous inconceivable it, it is truly extraordinary <laughs> if any if anything was ever extraordinary it's this <laughs> so yeah um I, now i'm more or less comfortable with the title because uh -huh. yeah i mean we have a tendency this is one of the this is one of the things that happens with language, which is 
it so happens that a lot of the maps that we've created, you know, the way we're languaging what's happening, describing what's happening, have a tendency to kind of dumb it down, to sort of make it appear to be less somehow, lacking in some way, insufficient, um, just maybe even boring or um, not that meaningful or right. there's ways that that are ways of construing it make it smaller make it seem to be um well lack is a good word like somehow this is this you know, the title of my second book is this is always enough which was a kind of a counter to that notion it's like yeah actually that notion that this is lacking is just a misunderstanding of mm -hmm. lacking mm -hmm. And this is this moment is the entire universe is mm -hmm. here, literally. So how could it? In a sense, this moment is inclusive of everything, mm -hmm. because it's because it's inseparable from the absolute reality, whatever that is. It's 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 the expression of of the whole. It's an expression of this boundless, infinite, unnameable. <laughs> presence you know what do we call it but it's an expression of that and in that sense lacking <laughs> lacking mm -hmm. it's just it may it may be empty in one sense of identity right that's my understanding of emptiness it's empty of being able to determine what it is that that's that's what i believe emptiness is pointing to mm -hmm. it's empty empty of self-nature as the buddhist sutra says but it's full it's really full it's full of it's it's uh it's it's full it's alive it's 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 um it's it's powerful i mean it's it's um it's this uh a friend and i were just talking about this a word in the cashmere shaivism sponda do you know that word it's the, the sponda is like it, it apparently doesn't have a good english translation but it's sort of the force of this moment, like the 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 positivity of it, like like this is here, like it's here. It's 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 a it's an emanation. It's a it's a shining. It's a it's a um, in that sense, it's um, emptiness doesn't quite capture it. It reminds me of a quote that. I think is attributed to Zhou Chen, but I could I can never find it. I can actually never find this quote. I think I heard Sam Harris say it. I don't I don't know where it came from. And when I search it in Google, I can never find the source. But it says the universe is maximally exerting itself to create this moment and nothing more. And I I don't know if that fits the essence I love of that. Yeah. Described, that, but it's like, oh yeah, that that's it. That's yeah, yeah. It is. It's like like this is the big bang. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh -huh, uh -huh. I mean, this moment is, we could say, I mean, it's strange because one of the curious, there's very, very many curious aspects to reality, curious in the sense of they, they kind of deviate from how we typically think of it. We typically think of there's this kind of buildup and then something comes into existence, you know, that, that something precedes creation, you know, whatever came before 
So what mm. led up to our conversation was that, you know, we can say both of our lives have led up to this moment. So we, that's how we conventionally think. But experientially, there's no precedent, right? There's nothing that came before. There's, it's just here, mm -hmm. ma magically, like literally magically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like I get sucked into this and then I'm like, no, I'm doing a podcast. I have things to talk about, et cetera. So it's, it's a funny yeah yeah well the, the other title of the book that i <laughs> tossing around with the publishers to what you just said was uh and they ultimately it would have been fun to title it this there's a chapter in the book and we were going to title the book by that chapter which is reality the greatest drug of all uh-huh i i heard you say that in another podcast. no 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 mind-altering substance is needed <laughs> right right just look <laughs> So, okay, I want to ask you about, about um, the, the function, something like the function of the mind. And I want to uh, illustrate the question with an, an experience that I had, which there's mm -hmm. been a number of experiences where without any uh, outside substances, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. sitting there and I know I noticed the futility of, all right, Christopher is now this guy sitting here mm -hmm. trying to get to where he knows he already is and it's pointless right. hopeless but it's it's kind of like i look at it as a, a prayer and a celebration and and utterly hopeless and all these things and i remember sitting in my in my home in my parents home actually which reminded me of the uh a, a quote that you said so beautifully in one of the podcasts i heard you say you said it's like sitting in your in your house looking for home and it's, it's funny because that's quite literally, in, in a way, what I knowingly knew I was doing. And I'm like, all right, time to get nowhere, even though I'm, I want to get somewhere. And I, the clock was going, there's a nice grandfather clock in my parents' house. And I said, I'm just going to, I'm just going to count. I don't know, you know, whatever. I'll just, I'll just count. Tick tock, tick tock, let's count. And all of a sudden I open my eyes, I close my eyes and I, I, I call up my fiance and I'm like, baby no it, it really didn't happen this time nothing happened she's like yeah hasn't this happened before i'm like yeah but this time nothing's really happening and everything's happening and it's this like bizarre any words that i put to it I, I, and then i go around and i look at all the objects in the house and i'm like yeah it's, it's really not happening and it's not happening to me and only and it's it's this strange no thing thing happening and i'm i'm wondering the question that i wrote down that i had for you is is it something like the the mind the mind just wants to the biological organism that appears it wants to just like do something because it's so used to doing and achieving and going after stuff so even though we're talking about this and we know this or, or we have we're that's all that is we could even say and yet then there appears to be these functions that I, I, I wonder about the function of the mind. And I thought you'd be a perfect person to ask because of what you do. <laughs> um, yeah. Big question. <laughs> and, and I don't know if I'm even clearly articulating what I'm asking. So I say it another well, we, way. We, we can certainly say that, of course, when we say the mind, you know, what do we mean? Well, we could say the the part of consciousness or but maybe maybe a a function of of the intelligence of reality let's say that can and does 
render, it does interpret, it does take, we could say, we we're talking earlier about infinity, you know, yeah. this infinite amount of information, for lack of a better word, information, you know, like an infinite number of dots appearing right now, just infinite. Mm -hmm. Little, the pixels of reality, you know, and then this conceiving, conceptualizing, interpreting apparatus of reality, because <laughs> the mind, whatever the mind is, is made of this same infinite reality. Right. It, it's, it, it renders it, it makes it, we could say it defines it in a sense into existence, you know, as objects, as phenomena, as things that have um, continuity and endurance, which is, because if everything was just like blipping off, blipping off, it's like, we, we wouldn't see, we really actually wouldn't see what we call forms, right? Like how, how is it that you seem to be kind of holding still as a form that I can communicate with. And it's not like every flash instant, you're unrecognizable to me. Like it's like seeing a new person, new person, new person, yeah, like, yeah, new phenomenon. It's not really like that, is it? It's this sense of the the the, the emptiness, the Buddhists say, you know, the emptiness dances as form. Um, the infinite, unresolvable, indeterminate nature of this dances seemingly as something that can be determined. I can conclude what this is. I can see it as form. And it's very convincing, <laughs> very convincing um, that in a sense that I, it looks like, it looks convincingly, it looks like a chair over there. And in one sense is. And my fear convincingly looks like something that I can recognize and name and talk to you about. Um I mean, as to what the some sort of purpose of this apparatus of reality that that's rendering itself. I mean, this is just its dance. This is what it does. Yeah. Infinity appears as we could say. I mean, I'm just speculating because I don't know the mechanics of any of this really. Uh -huh. But it, it seems like there's something in us creatures in uh, that seems able to know what this is and, and understand it and render it right, make sense of it. But, but it turns out that we actually can't, which is really funny. It's almost like, like in that sense, the reality is fundamentally a mystery unto itself. If you take the person out of the equation, because whatever we are is just an, an, an aspect of reality itself. So there's really just this infinite reality. And if its own bottom can't be determined because of its infinite nature, in a sense, it's a mystery unto itself what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. True, truly a mystery unto itself. But, but then that which is a mystery and unknowable unto itself, we could say, it, but it just is itself, but what that is. Like you, you said, you know, what are you certain of? you know, I am, I think was the first one you said, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that this is. Yeah, <laughs> that's, 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 I, I, I like to say, I know that this is, but I don't know what it is. Right. That's what I can say with some degree of yeah. confidence. And the <laughs> I, I came to see is too much to say I am. I'm like, well, that's actually, I don't know. 
yeah. whatever. <laughs> whatever. I mean, yeah. Whatever we are is this amnes, yeah. is this existence, is uh -huh. this this you know this this the suchness. Um, but anyway, I don't really know if I answered your question about the, the mechanism of the mind and what what was underneath the question. Like, what do you? If there's yeah, something else you're curious about around the mind, maybe you could ask again. Yeah. I, I so. I, as you were speaking, I was thinking of like, all right, what what is it that I'm really asking? I think it might be something like, it appears to me that separation, mm -hmm. at least as a concept, and, and sometimes I buy into it, and there there are feelings of anxiety, sadness, suffering. Let's just let's just chop it up, and I could say sure. suffering mm -hmm. um, appears to arise, and to to connect that to the question that i just asked you mm. it's like i look at my own mind and i think oh there's christopher that's so used to looking for something outside of this because his conditioning has been so much of mm -hmm. you're gonna get and you're gonna you're gonna arrive at the experience it's almost like i have this hypothesis that the mind it just continually wants to create time yeah. to get to this thing, even though there's been enough evidence and the direct evidence of every moment when I sit down and look at it, it is, that's not out. That thing that I think I'm getting to isn't ever actually, I've never found evidence that it's out there or that I'm separate from that. And that's, so it's almost like spill, spillover residue of, being identified as a separate seeker and i think that that just kind of runs on something something like that and that's what i was kind of asking about with the mind question if that makes sense well part of the you know defining function of consciousness or reality is that i i think it is what creates this sense when 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 this is being perceived this instant it that 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 it, it's like so if if you look at out in, at an ocean mm -hmm. um It's very interesting. It, it, it's it's such it's such an amazing metaphor, and I use it so much just because it's just there's so many different ways that it's so powerful to try to reveal or point to what we're talking about. So if you if we look at an ocean, what is a wave actually? That what we call a wave, which we we see conventionally describe, think about as something that exists as an autonomous phenomena that we call a wave, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, we could be sitting by the sea together and let's say some really like particularly large, powerful wave just sort of kind of comes out of the blue, you know, sort of huge set or something. And, and you're like, John, like, well, look at that wave. And, and we're gonna, we seem able to, to look at that and agree like now we're seeing this thing called a wave, right? But is there actually a wave? 
What is a wave? Because <laughs> a wave suggests that there's some autonomous phenomena that we have a name for. A wave as something that's other than a wave, right? That has its own, yeah, it has its own independent existence. In other words, when we name something, when this interpretive function of the mind, let's call it the mind, or just ease, is operating, it's, what is it doing? When it defines something like, you know, here's another phenomenon, you know, cup, right? What's it doing? It's, it's, it's in a sense, it, 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 the definition sets sort of the limits of what the phenomenon is, right? It sets the the boundary of like this is yeah yeah this and not something else, which is yeah. why I have a word for it. Otherwise, the words make no sense. Uh -huh. So, all this defining creates this sense of there's 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 this which isn't that, and then that is not that, and that is not that. So all these separate phenomena, right? Well, how how do we do that? I mean, even in the visual field, it's very analogous to the wave. It's like if I look at the object that I'm calling a chair that I would say has independent existence from the room within within which it exists, where where does the room end and the chair begin? I actually can't determine it visually. Right, right. And you can't really determine it from like a physics standpoint either, right? In that sense, it has no independent existence, even though it looks like it does, just like the wave. Because if you... I remember drawing this picture to try to illustrate this, where I, I had a picture of the sea, and, and then there was a wave, uh, what we would call a wave, and I drew this like little line around. Okay, so what what is it? That, is the beginning of the wave called the trough of the wave? I think where the wave starts, right? So, so yeah. that's where the wave starts to take form, right? So I like drew this line around. There's the there's the edge of the wave that defines its form. Right? It has a form. There's a form. You're showing me the wave. See the wave, John? I'm like, yeah, there's a wave. So it's defining, we're defining the form by basically creating an imaginary line of the beginning of that wave. And I said, was well, that the beginning of the wave? Okay, cool. Well, who's to say, though, that the wave doesn't start a little bit before that, mm -hmm. like the edge of the wave? And I draw the line and I have another circle that's like around the wave. It's like a little bit beyond that original line. It's like, well, who's that's arbitrary. It is arbitrary to say where the wave begins. Yeah. It has no beginning. Right. It has no beginning. The form is just a, a magical trick of perception that it looks like it's got an edge, but the wave has no edge. It, the, 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 the beginning of the wave is the sea. So the wave is the sea. It's inseparable from the sea. There is non-separation right there. And that's exactly what's going on right now. All the phenomena that we describe, when we describe them, it creates the sense of a world of parts and pieces, basically, of separate pieces. This is distinct from that. It's distinct from that. The TV is distinct from my carpet. It's distinct from the table. It's distinct from the chair. It's distinct from me. That's the world of seeming division. Mm -hmm. But the reason that I emphasize experience, I talk about the experiential perspective as a way of cutting through that seeming separation is mm -hmm. 
that the experience of all these seemingly separate pieces that have in a sense been rendered by this interpretive faculties, drawing these lines around these phenomena. I mean, and we're not doing that. Like the, the intelligence of the universe is doing that totally. We don't even know how to interpret anything, but, but the mind is or consciousness is. But experientially, this is what's so wild, is that we don't experience any edges. We don't experience any lines of division in experience. My experience of being in the room is undivided. Where is the division experientially? I never, I never run into a, a, a roadblock. I never run into a wall. I never hit a, a boundary. I never hit. So experientially, th there's no, there's no pieces. There's just this wholeness. And so, I'm bringing this up. It's a long-winded kind of circle to circle back to what you were sharing in your question. If I see in people that I'm talking to and, and teaching around all this stuff, the way this seems to get missed is that we associate it with particular pieces, with particular parts, with particular states, with particular moments, right? Rather than recognizing that this is all, all of it, this is all phenomena, right? Just like, in other words, the, 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 come back to the ocean metaphor, the, the, the sea of life is creating all this phenomena, but all of the phenomena that it creates from the greatest heartbreak to the greatest ecstasy and bliss is its, its, its creative activity, right? And all of the waves of phenomena are just like the waves of the sea are, are they, never, they never escape the sea. They never are cast. They always, reality is always reality, right? No matter how it's appearing because everything is made of reality. Everything is made of life. Everything is made of existence, has no independent existence. And from that standpoint, no experience is closer to it than any other. So your absolute like blown out experience you were describing where the felt like the death of the self. And yeah. that's actually, I, I was just talking to a friend about this. I, I could feel the power of that experience, you know, as you described it, but, and I don't know if this element was in it, but what makes for the most important experiences in a sense, in this regard, is the ones that reveal that what you were seeing in that moment is always present in and as every experience, not that particular experience alone. That was the weirdest part about it. The weirdest part was literally, it felt like I hadn't taken mushrooms and the mushrooms were communicating to me that it wasn't that and that it's always this and it's never been anything different and it never even felt like I came <laughs> off of them in the, in the craziest most beautiful way it was like ah it it kind of communicated to me that it wasn't the source that did that to me or it was but it was in the sense that but it, but it, was, but it wasn't at the same time because yeah, exactly because this has no cause yeah, it's its own cause it's its own cause yeah yeah, because mushrooms are absolute reality, and so is everything else. So they're not like some, in a sense, in a very real sense, they're not some special cause of anything, because, yeah. right? Yeah, and that it, that was oh, so 
in a real way, I created this in some like crazy placebo effect way where I decided that the power, you know, Ram Dass said this and Terrence McKenna said this and the, I could see how it was all created by me, but not, not just Christopher me. Like it was just like being created by, by all, oh man. It's like, it's like the intelligence of this reality. It, it, it sort of uses whatever it uses, all of it, all of it being its intelligence in a sense to, to reveal itself to itself, to experience itself, to know itself, to, to encounter itself. But it's like, I, I love how you describe that because that's exactly, I say the most special experiences are ones that reveal the specialness of all experience. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And that's what, that's what you saw in a sense by right in the middle of this like transcendental, like blasting, you know, rocket ship kind of moment out of self-identification, suddenly the, you were like sober, like you weren't even high on things. It was just like, it was like you, you were like, it sounds like as you describe it, you were like plunked back into just normalcy and realizing like there's no difference from that, from the perspective of, it's like, you know, from the perspective of the hologram, every seeming object in the hologram is made of the hologram, right? Because it's all, what looks like a bunch of stuff in the hologram. If you ever watch Star Trek and they go on the holodeck and, you know, it's like they're having a whole reality in the holodeck of people that they meet. And, but what's everything in the holodeck is made of whatever the hologram is made of. And from, so from then there may be when they're in the holodeck, they may be making love to some amazing creature and it's very blissful, or they might be running from some terrifying monster and they might prefer the former, you know, the, the, the ecstatic sex with that beautiful creature than mm -hmm. faced by some, you know, treacherous monster. And it's all made of the hologram. And so from that perspective, there's absolutely no hierarchy of experience. Everything is, as the Tibetans say, everything is equal, truly equal in the most radical sense. It, it's, it's of one taste, as they say. And yeah. it's a taste of reality, which is a taste of infinity, which it transcends any definable taste. Mm -hmm. We can't say what it tastes like. And yet appears as all the flavors. So in a sense, it's every taste. Yeah. Every taste. It's it's the taste of sorrow and the taste of joy and the taste of sweet and the taste of sour. And, and that's how it shows up. It shows up as actual different flavors, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Clearly. We see it yeah. in food and we see it in our our mind states it's like it's like every moment has a little different flavor this moment has a kind of a flavor but it's different from it's different and every instant in a sense even if subtly different distinct i mean isn't that funny that i just said everything is equal everything is the same and yet all there is is diversity simultaneously right yeah nothing's the same from moment to moment mm -hmm. and yet it is the same yeah and what, what everything you've said if i could kind of encapsulate it and see if huh. i'm if good luck with that <laughs> yeah right yeah uh, I'll, I, <laughs> you're braver I'll, soul, uh, a braver soul than i <laughs> <laughs> uh rupert spira he says if we should really want to speak about truth we should just be silent <laughs> say nothing um but I, anyway i i was kind of understanding what you said and everything being equal as 
my mind or what I was um, proposing to you as this question around suffering and separation and my mind and the seeker, how I'm kind of understanding what you said is that my mind defined in this way is just a persistent wave in a sense, the, the, the wave that is the mind of Christopher appearing in this way, that's been on a journey to seek or find out whatever it is. That's just, it seems to to have a kind of persistence for sure. Yeah. 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 And, and I was kind of fitting it into the wave. It doesn't actually, but seems to. (laughs) Right. Um, Because nothing has any persistence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Because the moment's gone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. That's the, that's the power of the, I don't use the word illusion much, but I'll use it now. Mm-hmm. The power of the illusion, we could say, is the power is the illusion. The, the, the fundamental illusion is the the illusion of continuity, that things actually endure over time. I guess impermanence seems pretty persistent. Pretty, <laughs> yeah, that we could say that's persistent. <laughs> that's right. the singular thing that. But I don't. I don't know. And that's the the beautiful caveat to everything that John and I says in this conversation is. I actually have no idea. I'm in the midst of a a, a miracle, a, an absolute mystery. <laughs> well, well, permanence is like, yeah, no, for sure. It's like the, the transiency, the, the 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 slippery, unstable nature of of what's would show up as phenomena. Um, it's so radical in in the sense that um, there's not really even things to have permanence or impermanence in other words because the impermanence suggests that there's a thing but that thing doesn't last but there's not even a thing because yeah yeah if you feel the moment what we would call now (laughs) how long is it here for is is there is, is there a moment as soon as I point to it, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so in that sense, you can't point to it because what you what you might what you or I might say we're pointing to and identifying in the very in the very exact instant of pointing to it, it's no longer what what we're what we thought we were pointing to. In that sense, this can't be pointed to. It can't be referred to. It cannot be designated. It's just. It's it's shape shifting, is that immediate? That it's. I mean, people they talk about in the traditions, right? That well, this is ungraspable. That's what that means. You can't can't grasp hold of something that's gone already. So, one of the reasons that's powerful to see, experientially, just feel it's like staring us in the face, right? I mean, the ungraspable nature of this radical instability. It's just right, right here. There's no. It's not abstract. It's just gone. I mean, right. The the last five minutes are clearly gone of our conversation. Like, where are those? They're not here. But clearly, the last seconds also poof. Right. And then the last microsecond, nanosecond. I mean, that's how radical it is. Right. Why that's so powerful? I mean, for a lot of reasons. But one is that I find it to be maybe the simplest way for people to discover how this is not renderable if that's a word it is not conceivable 
it's not thinkable or speakable it's unspeakable what a silly thing to try and talk about <laughs> well and 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 if we look it, it, like if you try to right now conclude what this is and put it in a frame of reference again mm -hmm. it's just like pointing to it it's gone mm -hmm. so what we think we're describing is no longer here mm -hmm. literally it's gone and hard to say if it ever even was here and and the amazing yeah absolutely and, and the amazing thing is is that well in in light of what we're what we're saying right now we would say logically speaking that we nothing should then there should be no perceptions occurring because right nothing yeah. nothing no visual perceptions auditory perceptions cognitive cognitions feelings like there should be nothing like absolute void just void if if these things aren't even coming into existence because they have no permanence or stability then how is it that we see what we call the world of form well that's the magic show of life that which is absolutely non-enduring and in that sense has no pattern has no definition transcends any 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 thingness looks like things looks like forms looks like this wonderful conversation that's what it looks it looks like that and yet it's not really that's not it's not merely that it mm -hmm. transcends that. it transcends the forms but the but the transcendent the emptiness if you will always looks like something it's never it always looks like something it's never naked it always looks like something it would seem well, it's such a beautiful dance it's such an incredible dance it's like yeah. it's just exquisite and then and then it's like in a sense we we get to partake of the forms the glory and the beauty of the forms sometimes the forms can be encountered as gritty and horrifying too you know i'm not like painting like just merely a rosy picture of the of the forms like you there's say be, right what's that there's i said there's thorns too there's roses thorns too thorns. absolutely right it would seem yeah as part of a part of right bodied existence yeah. but wow what a completely different way to encounter the 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 rough and tumble of it all you know mm -hmm. the and this is where it, for me it's very pragmatic from a kind of standpoint of human suffering because you know in a way if it's if 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 the if the the seemingly describable world were the only reality yeah, it would be Pre, it would be kind of horrifying in, in in many respects you know we're like incredibly vulnerable creatures it could be squashed at any moment and experience you know intense physical pain and suffering as a result of that and and fear of possible annihilation and you know threats at every turn and trying to find our way through this life i mean it, it's like it's it's but it turns out that that's by exploring what this is you know experientially it just reveals 
this whole other dimension to it, which is free of the language, free of the lack, free of the limitations and definitions and identities that all the describing and defining and conceptualizing seems to imply, right? Um, it's free of all of that in its in its basis, in its root. It's free of it's free of everything. It's free of looking any particular way or being any particular way. And but it can look like and does look like anything and everything simultaneously. Like I said, like all the flavors, they're included, including sometimes the, the ones we think of as really difficult, really difficult. I'm really happy that you br bring up the really difficult and the, the practicality of this in the face of, or I could say in relationship to human suffering, because yeah. the things that I wanted to ask you about, mm -hmm. uh, it's something around uh, children, mm -hmm. children understanding this, if they understand it already, like naturally, innately, and then us mm -hmm. other older human beings, not you and I per se, but just people, mm -hmm. uh, we, it, is there a way that we could educate uh, and, and sort of share this understanding in a way that doesn't actually create the perceived separate individual that apparently creates so much suffering mm -hmm. and 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 do you think that children already have an intuitive sense of this and then it's forgotten and the reason i'm kind of framing all this up in this way is because of uh, carl jung you know he talks about the importance of individuation and this this mm -hmm. important full ego i think full ego probably and full, yeah mm -hmm. and and it's like would would we be robbing the individual of feeling separate to get back to oneness, so to speak? Or is there a way that we could actually have a whole, I mean, this could be an entire subject, at least I think so, from young people, it could just be playtime. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, remember when you used to feel all one at playtime? You notice how you're starting to feel a little, so, like there could be a whole, I don't know if that would be called non-duality class or something like this, but this is something I've been giving a lot of thought to, and I'm wondering how you think about this or if you've thought about this. I know I kind of threw a lot of questions at you. Yeah, no, it's it's really, it's interesting to think about, like, for example, as we don't know, because like infants don't have language to tell us what they're experiencing, but we can make some guesses that it's probably a, more of a sense of a wash of wholeness in a sense where the world isn't so split up yet and defined yet and yeah um, so then as they start to develop a sense of you know even as they develop like a sense of self and other um that sense of the, the individual i me you know even the two-year-olds just me 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 they're very kind of narcissistic in a sense it. yeah right <laughs> um and then also they're developing language i mean i have a daughter she's older now in her, in her late 20s and um but you know the, the development of language is kind of the, the learning of what things are in a sense and the names for things and and as her father you know i was helping her to learn the names of things and I have wondered from time to time, I mean, I had a lot of understanding as she, in her very early years, but I didn't really, I wouldn't say that I had the understanding that I now have around this. And I wonder what it might be like just to play the thought experiment where as I was teaching her what things are 
to define things in a sense. Um, could I simultaneously have also explored her, with her just as she was learning what things are, that they're also much, I mean, maybe that was happening anyway, that there was some awareness that they were much, that they transcended what she was calling them and what she thought they were as she, as her little mind was developing those capacities to think and to, to language, right? But what would it be like to raise children where they're learning about the world of form, they're learning about the world of separation as part of their natural, maybe necessary development as a, you know, as a, as a creation of the universe, but simultaneously not forgetting, not losing the indescribable and, 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 and simultaneously being reminded of um, that. Yeah. The labels sort of, can we help them to do just what I attempt to sort of support people with mm -hmm. each people in a sense, or help them to come to understand that, that things are the paradox in a sense that things are exactly what I say they are like chocolate is chocolate yeah. and has a recognizable distinct flavor that's nameable and, and, and designatable and distinct from other flavors. Right. So that's kind of, so, and I gained, I gained knowledge about those differences as I grew up. Right. And I played a role in helping my child learn about those things and, and the naming of them. But what would it be like for the developing child to simultaneously be directed to the, the paradox, which is they, they also can't really get to the bottom of what chocolate is. It's the mystery that, that what right. makes chocolate chocolate, like, like to explore it in their own experience. And, and so, so that, so then they have what, you know, I'm hoping, you know, more people can come to discover the, the simultaneity of on the one hand, knowing what things are, on the other hand, realizing that we don't know what things are and the open-ended nature of that and the the free, the, the liberating nature of, of that, that things are not bound up in all the definitions and descriptions, including ourselves, mm -hmm. of course, because mm -hmm. we often uh, develop various identities that are usually, they kind of define the limits of what we are. But so we could say we have a certain kind of identity, a certain kind of personality, a certain kind of whatever, but we're fundamentally unlimited and indefinable at the same time. Now, those are very subtle things. And I don't know whether the developing child's developing consciousness, if you will, has developed a degree, a certain degree of complexity to hold those paradoxes, understand them if in a way, maybe it feels like kind of a, 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 a question I don't know if anyone really has the answer to that. Yeah, I don't, don't think very much of what I was just describing goes on in child rearing. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, and 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 there's just I have this kind of an idea that this kind of understanding uh, beyond the uh, intellectual kind mm -hmm. of talking that we just that you were just uh, describing. If 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 there was someone that had the embodied as much as this can be embodied way of of being uh that it could help to alleviate a lot of unnecessary suffering that that occurs as a result of oh god uh, well, no question i mean and that that's that's certainly been my own discovery and what i share with 
with others and why I teach this in a, in a context of people training to be psychologists, because I teach graduate students. Thank God, that's awesome. They do that. Absolutely that, that, you know, let's say, let's pick something that seems to be almost epidemic in some sense. I mean, particularly young, young people right now, which is anxiety. Um, yeah, I know what anxiety is. I've got a name for it. And if I feel what I call anxious or worried, I, I can recognize that pattern. I can, and I can tell you about it. Let's say if you're my friend and I want to tell you, I'm feeling anxious about something. Right. And you can understand what I mean, presumably. So that's kind of, but that's almost as far as we've come to understand what anxiety is for the most part as humans. I mean, there's little pockets of crazy people that are investigating it more carefully to kind of get up to see, well, what is it actually? Like, just like a physicist might get up to the atom to get at what it is. So what is anxiety? What is anxiety made of? I always say, what, what are the, what are the particles of anxiety? What are the subatomic particles of it? What are the quarks of anxiety? What, right? What is the, What's the source code of it? What is it? What is it? And that discovery leads us right back to what we've been talking about this entire time, which is, it's like pie. You, you can't determine what it is. You cannot, you can look from now until the end of time. You'll never determine what this pattern is made of. It's fundamentally unpatterned. It's, it's, it's ambiguous as to what it is. It's not determinable because it's infinite. Well, Touching the, the infinite nature of any difficult mind state, like anxiety, let's say, opens one up to an entirely different way to encounter it. It's no longer a fixed, solid, impenetrable, potentially threatening thing. It's not, it's not, it's not that. It's this open-ended, cloud-like, inconceivable energy, we could say. I mean, it's, that's that's saying too much as well because it's unspeakable ultimately what it is. But but that's pragmatic. It's not philosophy. It's pragmatic to touch its unspeakable, inconceivable nature because suddenly you're not actually really even confronting a thing or mm -hmm. an obstacle or a threat. You can't really say what it is. Maybe and you're not really even separate from it either because there's uh, no you. The you that you think is the victim of this state of anxiety or potentially the victim of it, or it's overwhelming you. It's like, you're also the unresolvable, indefinable mm -hmm. dance of cosmic energy. And it's yeah. like this dance of energy, dancing with energy, inconceivability, dancing with, and suddenly it's like, you're lost. You, you don't know where, you don't know. You're like looking for something and you, you're just suddenly lost. You're just, you're off somewhere in some mysterious placeless place where you can't say what anything is. And there's great freedom in that. There's great relief in that. There's great, uh, dare I say even beauty in that, you know, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I tell this story, I won't go into the details, you know, but encountering some really intense grief a few years uh -huh. ago. Yeah, just exploring it in just the same way I was talking to you about with anxiety, but what is grief? What is grief made of? I'm calling it grief, like as if it's a thing, but it's not graspable. It's not definable, ultimately. And what's it like to taste its indefinability? And suddenly this thing that was 
felt just overwhelming in a sense and very difficult in a human kind of way. It wasn't merely that anymore. It was still that in a sense, like, you know, mm -hmm. if you eat something really sour, it's still really sour. You know, it's got that flavor. It doesn't go away to see that it's this transcendent mystery it doesn't necessarily make the flavor go away. That's, that's the paradox. That's the, you know, seeing that, the, that this has no permanence. And in fact, it's not a thing at all suddenly doesn't make the world vanish. It's like there's still a world showing up. Seeing that there's no time doesn't make the flow of time disappear, right? Seeing that there's no space doesn't make the seemingly spatiality of this disappear. And seeing that the grief is a transcendental beauty doesn't necessarily make the grief go away, but it gives us access, you could say, to a very, very, very different kind of encounter with, with that expression of reality that we call grief or anxiety or, or anything else that we might find difficult or troubling or or um, overwhelming or stressful or it's like it, it, it's 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 not wholly unlike to use a different metaphor you know I'm watching some movie and it's very upsetting you know what's happening in the movie and it's just I'm moved so much of watching what's happening, moved to tears, just feeling the anguish of these people that I'm watching. And then I look from another vantage and I realize it's it's a light show on a screen. And I may still find myself simultaneously seeing that it's a light show and still recognizing it as the drama and all the anguish that's there and feeling that. You know, it's not that's it you know because it's one reality that can that can appear both totally unformed and empty of resolvability and determinancy and can look like something very substantial and solid and right it's it's one one thing that can look so many different ways right one reality it seems like there's a uh the value I was thinking about this before we spoke to just looking at these different, I guess I'll call them emotions, phenomena, things that arise, mm -hmm. whether it's anxiety, depression, maybe even if it has a physiological, I do that with people that I work with. I say, get out the, all the thoughts out of the way. It's like, where is it in the body? If you can feel it in the body, tell me about that. What is it? What is it actually? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I'm sharing this because I think that just being curious, not to actually, I don't know that it matters if one finds out what it is and goes, oh, this, it's not anxiety. It's actually this. It's just that the, maybe the nature of, uh, I guess the idea would be illumining that thing with our awareness, consciousness, whatever we call it, instead of turning away from it mm -hmm. because we're afraid of it or the grief, kind of this, this grief yeah. that you talk about. Mm -hmm. It's just that something happens when we're willing to be with it, to look at it, to invent, to become curious about it and go, maybe I don't know what this actually is. Well, th those kind of, you know, techniques or way of engaging with like uncomfortable experiences, like, like you're talking about can definitely be a powerful sort of way of penning, penetrating 
what I was talking about earlier, which is the hierarchy. Like this is better than that. This is closer to freedom than that. This is closer to well-being than that. And and so because because ordinarily it's like I want to move away from this that feels uncomfortable and get back to something that's better. Fine. That's fine to do it's natural in a sense to move from pain to what's more less painful more pleasurable um but then there's this other this other discovery what i call like another order of well-being altogether uh and it's a well-being that doesn't it doesn't come and go it does not is not dependent upon the the way experience is looking the way reality seems to be shaping itself because it, it's like the ocean doesn't depend upon how the waves are shaping itself right it's just like that and so i would say this the sea of existence itself the transcendental mystery itself the absolute reality itself is the great well of being mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it is not dependent on our states of mind our temporary states of mind in fact our temporary this is really wild our, our temporary states of mind that might be a little uncomfortable or exceedingly painful actually are its shine are its expression are its mm -hmm. so what i was calling grief is the, is the absolute reality the well of being that can look like grief and so if we're only at the level of the description of what we think it is, then to come back to the metaphor of the ocean, the waves, then we're only at seeing the autonomous wave and like we're locked into the form and it's autonomous existence. And if, and, and in a sense, defining that and we're missing the bigger picture, we're missing what it fundamentally is, which is the absolute reality. And, and that's, and everything is always the absolute reality. And, and the more that's seen, the more there is this, in a sense, um, access, you could say, to this other unconditioned freedom, unconditioned, you know, there's different sort of facets of the unconditioned. One is a kind of freedom, one is a, a well of being, one is, um, you could say, an unconditioned presence, an unconditioned vitality, an unconditioned sense of being at home you know they're, they're all kind of metaphor they're all i'm i meant synonyms mm -hmm. uh, same thing but they're all kind of different flavors but but no it's the discovery that you're actually home equally home when you're in grief and anxiety and fear as when you're in joy and happiness and bliss because they're all made of this well of being fundamentally uh, every every seemingly separate definable phenomena is in its basis inseparable and indefinable from infinity so everything that's why i say everything is a doorway in yeah. same infinity and pleasure and pain are in that sense equal even though as embodied creatures we seem to be we, we have understandable and i certainly do preferences for certain flavors over others for sure but but our but our deepest kind of unshakable well-being doesn't depend upon how this looks mm -hmm. because it, it, any more than again the ocean depends upon whether it's a big wave or a little wave or is the sea very placid and calm and peaceful or is it a fucking shit show 
you know, in either case, it's still the ocean, isn't it? Yeah. So when all hell's breaking loose in our lives, certain moments when that may be happening, what we might describe as all hell's breaking loose, everything's falling apart, my relationship ended, I lost my job. It's like, I'm not minimizing how challenging those moments can be, but what are they? What are they? What are they? That's always the question. I'm always trying to bring people back to what is this? That is the question all this name of this class or course that you teach, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're somehow teaching this understanding to psychologists that are in training. What, yeah, basically, what is- I, I'm, a, yeah, I'm a college professor and I teach graduate students who are training to be therapists. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I used to say I smuggle this stuff into the classes. Now I, 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 I don't even smuggle it. It's very overt. Okay. Uh-huh. In a couple of my classes, they're reading my book and we're diving head first into this. So um, yeah, I'm essentially saying, yeah, take something like anxiety. <clears throat> There's a lot of tools to work with anxiety. There's a lot of ways you can help people. They, they can explore the roots of it, the sources of it. They can develop, utilize, you know, relaxation strategies to help, you know, downregulate the nervous system. I mean, they can do body work. They can, oh, it goes on and on and on, you know, heal their trauma. Great. And here's another tool. Mm-hmm. This other tool is inquiry. And the inquiry is what is anxiety? Let's not assume, because our language, in a sense, and then the subsequent ways we have come to think about something like anxiety lead us to believe that it's a problem. Mm-hmm. It represents something broken, something, right? Something is amiss. And all of that rests on the defining ultimately. So when we when we see that the, the, the experience that we call anxiety, just stick with that for a sec, transcends any, it, it's not, it absolutely cannot be identified as, this is just so, it's so amazing. It's like, like remember when you were talking earlier about things having a certain kind of persistence, right? And I said, actually, nothing has any persistence. And, and so if you see like something like anxiety that we call a state, suggests what? It suggests that it has something that endures over time. Mm-hmm. If you actually look at it in the instant, you see like, oh my God, it's ungraspable as well. And now you have another tool at your disposable, at your disposal, so to speak, when 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 that thing it suddenly appears <laughs> called anxiety. It's like, it's not what I think it is. Literally, literally an inconceivable mystery as is everything else. And sometimes seeing that can seem to almost dissolve a state like fear or anxiety in a sense, because you are seeing that it's in a, in a way already dissolved, like it has no Mm -hmm. resolution. Um, Not always though, again, the flavor may stay in some sense, but now you also know that, like when I went through the grief, it was like, I also knew that nothing was wrong. I knew that, Mm -hmm. and interestingly, seeing that it transcended what I thought it was, I would say, you know, people in my life 
friends and family were kind of concerned, like, yeah, you're, you're, you're experiencing too much. This is too intense. Like, this is not healthy for you, you know, because it was a lot of tears, a lot of grief. It just it was intense. And, I, I, and there was a sense that, like, in a way, it felt like everything kind of falling apart, this huge sense of loss. But there was also that simultaneous knowing that nothing can be lost. Like reality can't be lost. The ground of being can't be lost. It never goes anywhere. And somehow knowing that almost, I would say almost freed me up in a way to not avoid the experience, to just let it rip, to just let it be as it is. Because it didn't wasn't really a threat, because mm -hmm. because this the, the the absolute reality, if you will, is is not it can't be threatened, it can't be destroyed, it can't be it's inviolable, it's 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 indestructible. There's nothing outside of it to destroy it, right? So it's indestructible, and that's a game changer, you know, to see that in the context of living these human lives that we seem to be living. Yeah. Do you see that this has a, uh, maybe it already is happening in, in psychology. I don't think it is, but the, that's why I'm asking you no. that this way of inquiry could move into more mainstream psychology. Well, I'm, I'm playing my own little part in that, I guess, but yeah, you are. You absolutely are. Yeah. You no, know, I'm getting my students just for a little bit of time and definitely kind of planting seeds. In, um, I don't know, maybe. I'm not sure though. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, anything's possible, but even in within spiritual circles, I don't know whether the, the kind of, I'm, I'm pretty like, I pretty much have this one like message and then I, I try to find as many different ways to sort of talk about it. Yeah. I'm not sure at this point in time in human history, if the particular thing that I'm sharing has a lot of wide appeal. I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't actually find it being sort of, I would say a lot of spirituality has a lot of other things happening besides what I'm talking about, <laughs> sure, 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 yeah. uh, which, which may feed other things that people want out of their spiritual investigations. But, but, um, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's possible that, um, I mean, I think it's, <laughs> it's a key to psychological freedom like none other so that's what um, i think too uh, so i'm super inspired to, to try to yeah try to try to be a voice for it absolutely so we'll see what happens yeah. you know um yeah. yeah no i think it's geez it's like that's absolutely yeah it 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 uh it changes the whole experience of, of suffering that's for sure that's the, the when I'm when I have had these experiences, I could say when I verified the truth of what I don't know if you mm -hmm. can see the Ramanam. I got a photo of Ramanam Maharshi here. Huh. 
uh-huh. and like all I see I am that behind you. you know, I'm hearing all these things, and I'm like, man, if this is if what they're saying is true, <laughs> yeah, that's like that's the direct. I mean, they, some some uh, people call it the uh, the direct path or, or the direct approach, right. and when I've had those experiences, I'm just like, why doesn't everybody know about this? Or why it just feels like the most helpful, the most, I've been obsessed, obsessed is not even the right word. And so I do coaching stuff and it always seems to lead back to this because this seems to be the ground of anything else. I mean, this guy, Ramana Maharshi, people would come to him, I'm paraphrasing, and you know, I know you already know this, but he would say, you know, you're trying to improve this and that, but you don't even know who you are. You don't even know what right. is looking through your eyes. And I just, it kind of drives me kind of, in, in a sense, crazy when I look at oh, it. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Believe me. Yeah. I mean, it's like in the, one of the first chapters of my, my book, my last book, I, I say, you know, the, the ordinary approach to well-being, I call it approach one, is... Uh-huh life the life improvement project like to make right. this better you know to kind of cultivate the best possible life and and that's fantastic you know yeah, like yeah. dream the best dream possible and i said then there's another approach too which doesn't negate the first one but it's just another again it's another way you can orient to this which is hmm what if we before we jump to the conclusion that life needs to be improved how about if we ask the most basic question which is what is life mm-hmm. and we yeah. might find that it's intrinsically wondrous and nourishing and empowering beyond our wildest imagination just as it is without having yeah. to add one thing to it to make it better and it's maybe we could do most of those things on that list if we saw or experienced or knew the way it is or the way what is we might still do things that that you know you might still seek out particular environments and relationships and you know like i love live music i'm a musician so i you know like it doesn't keep me from also curating a life that i love and enjoy by, by 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 right by by engaging in the kinds of things that i find particularly interesting and, and meaningful and enriching you know so i it's like they're not mutually exclusive yeah. but meanwhile why it's liberating kind of from a, a, a suffering standpoint is it's like well even when things aren't going all that well as we might more typically label or define them it's you haven't lost, you haven't lost the ground. You haven't lost the totality cannot be lost. Yeah. How, how, I mean, and that's, I mean, that, that, that's what I'm like repeating that so often, you know, when I'm meeting with people, because there is that sense of like, wow, I, I contacted the totality and felt the indivis- undivided nature of this. And, and then I lost touch with it somehow. And I was like, you cannot lose touch with this. It's the only thing you are in touch with. How can you lose touch with it? <laughs> you see? The pointer of just this 
I, I wonder how, when it comes to uh, someone that is just encountering this, because I think about our own, my experiences, all the different things that maybe one goes through to get to the yeah. simplicity of it. If um, mm -hmm. you find that that lands, the, the, that, the, if someone came to me before I was introduced to any of this, and was like, just look at your experience and see that it's just this and separation is an idea. I don't, I sometimes wonder since I've yeah. had all these different experiences, how that might land with me, but that's the way I'm attempting to share it with others. So I'm wondering if you've thought about that. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of, it's like an ongoing, you know, the art of trying to share about this uh -huh, uh -huh. It is, you know, what, what's most, what's the most helpful way to, to speak about it. And, you know, it, it's, I can't really say, I mean, I'm just sort of doing my best, but <laughs> I, 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 why we're here. That's right. I, I mean, well, I, I guess one thing that I approach I tend to take is that to keep directing, I, I say there's, there's two perspectives. There's the seemingly definable perspective and then there's the perspective of experience itself. And we, we're we very heavily weighted towards the defined perspective. And most, most people, a lot of people have never been introduced to, even though we're living it in a sense, the experience perspective. Um, I'm, bringing, I'm just bringing people back to that all the time. Because just as we were saying earlier, you know, you take something like it seems that our language suggests that things have permanence they have duration they actually are things and those things can harm us and we're someone based on our definitions who can be harmed so all of that's kind of languaged and reified by the language right but then when you go to your experience amazingly you can and just through feeling experience you don't find an individual living in a world you find experience and right away, you can start to taste that undivided. You can taste the way from the perspective of experience. There's not a self living in a world. There's not a subject and an object. There's not an inside and an outside. There's not things happening to me. There's just, we'll call it a flow of experiencing, call it a flow of perceiving, call it this, call it this radiance shining that looks like a bunch of pieces. And I mean, I, I, I will use different words to try to capture what I call the common denominator of everything, you know, that everything is present, everything. I'll say that sometimes I'll say, because notice that, that, that that's like fundamental to everything, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's always present and never comes and goes. The presence never comes and goes. Or notice that it's always luminous. The luminosity never comes and goes. This is always appearing, isn't it? It's luminous and it's appearing. The appearances always look different. And our tendency is to, I like those appearances. And now I'm okay. I don't like those. Now I'm not okay. And that's the whole dance of the human based on the defining the appearances. But the appearing itself is relentless. It's continuous. It never goes anywhere. And it's not conditioned by how it looks. So I'm always directing people to these different doorways in defining the common denominator of all of this which is the discovery that it, this is one thing, one wholeness, one totality, one reality, one divinity. Um, that you never lose, that you're never apart from, that is what you are, what you are.
always and forever. <laughs> well, there we have it. This is always it. It's also it's always it. Twitter handle. Always looks always looks different, and it's always still it. Yeah, that's the great mystery and paradox of this. It looks like anything and everything, not like particular things. It looks like anything and everything. And yet, and that's every single thing is made of this. Exactly. Uh, well, thank you so much. Absolutely. John. It's thank a total pleasure to meet you, Christopher, and, and chat with you. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed talking with you. Uh, I'll link up your website. Is there any other events or anything that you have coming up that you want to speak to in this moment? Um, I'm doing a an online retreat first weekend in March. Um, that'll be kind of an experiment to do a retreat over Zoom. And then I'm going to do an in-person retreat here in the Bay Area in first weekend in May. Um, and uh, yeah, anyone interested in being in touch can just uh, message me um, through my website, which is easy to remember, johnaston.com and be in touch with me that way if you're more curious about about my work and what I have happening kind of coming up in the next few months. So awesome. I'll, I'll link all that up so people can access it in the show notes and uh, that's good. Thank you so much until next Thanks, time. Christopher. time graduates. Uh, <laughs> Thanks Christopher. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.